Welcome back, everyone. My name is Michael LeBlanc, Director and Senior Portfolio Manager with uh, Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. And welcome to our weekly update uh, where we cover everything that's going on in the market, everything we see coming up, and also some special topics. Today, we're going to talk about RSPs, TFSAs, and some changes to the CPP that just came out. Uh, we are into a new year. And of course, uh, we have to start thinking about the new limits, uh, tax time, getting ready for the tax uh, tax make at the in April, and uh, everything we can do for this year. So, let's jump on into things. As always, remember uh, all the topics we cover here for information purposes only. <clears throat> always give us a call or seek professional advice before applying anything to your portfolio, uh, or do your own due diligence. Uh, everyone's situation is unique, and it's worth double checking to see what best strategies apply to you. Uh, if you're watching live, of course, you can watch this on a uh, pre-recorded. Uh, we put this out afterwards. You can uh, replay it, and uh, we put it on our podcast. But if you're watching live, feel free to click that so Q&A button. If you have any questions, we'll try to get to them today. Um, if we don't get them by the end of today's cast, then for sure we will follow up with you afterwards. If you have any questions on the replay for the podcast, go to mikeonmoney.com. There you can ask us any questions or give us a call. Uh, you can find all our content at that portal. <clears throat> so let's start seeing what's going on out in the news. Um, you know, of course, uh, we are heading into a transitional government tomorrow. The inauguration of uh, Joe Biden uh, is happening. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of excitement there. Uh, this week, I'm just happy that we didn't have a once-in-a-lifetime event <laughs> occur in the last few days. So that's that's been the good news. Uh, so hopefully, we can talk. You know, we'll be able to talk about RSP and TFSA, some normal stuff today. Uh, tomorrow's inauguration, so there's a few last-minute things happening. <clears throat> of course, as the old administration goes out, uh, you know, investors are are kind of looking at the the, the China ban. If you've been following us. Uh, of course, you're aware that uh, the, the Trump government has been banning uh, investment in certain Chinese companies, mostly around technology, um, uh, to defend, I guess, security of, of the United States. And uh, uh, we don't see that changing very much with, uh, with Biden coming in. He certainly hasn't indicated that he's going to backtrack um, too much of that. We'll have to see, of course. <clears throat> but so far, not a lot of indication there. Uh, U.S. Uh, some U.S. nursing homes residents, you know, face delay getting the vaccines, uh, you know, and, and Biden's going to try to boost those vaccine rollouts. This is something we're seeing across the United States, and in fact, even here in Canada, uh, the number the the number of people being vaccinated is going a bit slower than everyone expected. Uh, you know, the supply chain a little bit of disruption with um, uh, Johnson Johnson coming out and saying that they're delaying some of the uh, or, or their vaccines are being delayed a little bit. They're hoping to get back on track this week. Uh, but basically, the rollout's not going as well as hoped. And now there's new plans to involve things like the, the drugstores in the US, CBS, and Walgreens. Uh, they're talking about converting whole sports, sports arena like they've done in the UK uh, to do some mass vaccination centers. Uh, and even Canada starting to look at that up here to try to, you know, increase the numbers. Uh, they had lofty um, 
lofty ambitions uh, to get everyone done. Uh, you, you know, the, the latest we've heard is kind of September uh, for everyone to have the vaccine available. Uh, and now those, those dates are in question unless, you know, the numbers change uh, quickly. Uh, and hopefully they will. Obviously, the rollouts always start slow as they, you know, get the infrastructure in place and, and, and get things moving. Uh, but obviously, a lot of eyes on how well that's going to turn out over the next month or two. Uh, also, you know, COVID-19 pressures on retail sales. Um, again, not a surprise. If you go back in our videos to, uh, you know, when when the economies in the U.S. Uh, and Canada started reopening and August, September, October. Uh, we talked about how that surge in sales uh, as people had, you know, held off spending or held off purchases uh, and the big influx for those months, you know, the numbers were obviously um, a lot bigger or at least were bouncing back a lot faster. Uh, and now that started to uh, taper off uh, for the last few months. Um, as, as also we've gone into the second wave or, or this next wave of, losing count what wave we're on these days but you know as we go into that um people people you know the jobless rates uh are or the unemployment rates are on the rise again uh so obviously retail sales are going to take a little bit of a hit uh until we come out of this and hopefully we're we're, we're headed out of it not just the vaccine but of course these shutdowns that we're in currently uh the numbers had started to slow down a bit whether they'll stay that way uh, we'll have to wait and see, but uh, obviously uh, something to be concerned about, something to keep an eye on as we have seen retail sales fall a little bit. Uh, you know, the, the Fed sticking to their policy on the economic lull, you know, dial back the uh, the economic or keep the economic easing going. Uh, as I mentioned before, they kind of have this three-year plan or they did have a new a three-year plan where the, the U.S. Fed was going to not try to raise rates. Uh, of course, we have now uh, or we will have probably by the end of this week, a uh, new head of Fed under the new government. Uh, so, uh, so far, she's pretty much indicated that, um, you know, she's not going to change any or make any statements to uh, potentially change the direction or change the market until she's had some time to really analyze the situation and get a better, uh, better hold on. And of course, she's going to be focused right away on the new stimulus package that's coming out. Uh, they're talking about 1.9 trillion uh, is what they're shooting for uh, to push through the Congress and the Senate. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, as I mentioned a bit earlier, Trump's administration, you know, taking some final swipes at China. Um, you know, he's done a bunch already where he's he's uh, put sanctions or uh, blocked the investment in certain uh, investments, and they put another nine firms on that list. Uh, before he goes out, uh, and as I mentioned, Biden not really looking to unwind those. Uh, you know, investors are storming into alternative energy funds or the uh, the green energy, green tech. We've talked about this for most of the year. Uh, obviously, last year was a, a great return on those investments. Uh, they continue to look very strong. Uh, Biden, uh, Biden's government has has have had a really strong commitment to invest in green technologies and, the, and renewable energy. Uh, so we don't see that that uh, that you know, really slowing down. It would be cautious, though, whenever we see uh, a rush of money into a sector, uh, there's always some bad actors. So, you know, make sure you're doing your due diligence on the names you're investing into. Uh, if you're if you're using funds or ETFs, you know, know what's behind them, know, know where that money's flowing to, what type of projects 
what countries, uh, and actually the firm names uh, that are involved. Not to say this is a bad area or there's a lot of, of things um, bad happening in that. Uh, that's just a precautionary advice on anytime we see a, a, a lot of flow of money into a particular sector, it does attract um, you know, some bad actors into that. Mobile gaming firm, uh, Platica, uh, shares jumped on the NASDAQ uh, maybe a debut. Uh, you know, e-gaming, uh, you know, online gaming, obviously uh, it's been a grown area for, for several years. Uh, <clears throat> you know, whether it be esports, you know, the online uh, gaming, uh, you know, sites like Twitch and YouTube getting involved in those, that type of area or the mobile gaming, which obviously is a much bigger market because everyone tends to have a mobile or smartphone these days where you can play your favorite games and new games coming out all the time. Uh, you know, the early days uh, when that started coming out, uh, you know, we all heard about Angry Birds and of course it's, it's fame and success. Uh, with the, the pandemic and more and more people being isolated, more and more people looking for entertainment inside the home or, you know, uh, away from uh, the sports arenas and away from the movie theaters, we have seen gaming, um, you know, take off. So just another example of that sector, it's, it's a volatile sector, it's an aggressive sector, but it is, uh, it is growing and there's a lot of attention being paid, on, paid to it. So the number of cases, I, I don't have the, uh, I'm not putting up the, the chart, it's kind of a little too depressing. Uh, if you, again, back in December, uh, you know, all through last year, we had the chart of each country uh, with the total numbers. It's, it's getting tough to follow. Uh, globally, it is through 2 million deaths total. Uh, you know, we're kind of at 95.6 million um, total global cases. Uh, the U.S. is edging closer, probably almost over the 400,000 total deaths now. If you remember at the beginning of all this, that was, you know, even even the the, the most pessimistic thought, you know, we, the U.S. wouldn't get to that number. Uh, and of course, they're at that number. So, you know, the numbers are still climbing. Uh, they, as I mentioned, they have fallen from their peaks. Uh, and hopefully that continues, uh, you know, continues. Uh, obviously, the U.S. is still a focus uh, with, um, you know, things getting pretty bad there with hospitals being overwhelmed in certain areas. Uh, of course, here in Canada, Toronto and Quebec, I should say Ontario and Quebec, uh, both in uh, full shutdowns with, uh, you know, curfews or curfews being uh, applied in certain areas uh, be because they are trying to slow things down in the hospitals and it is getting to that breaking point. So hopefully we can curb those uh, and, uh, with the vaccine rollouts and, and people just uh, doing a little bit more here, we can get back to some reopenings or, or things easing up a little bit. Uh, see that economy reopen later this year. Um, you know, Biden, uh, you know, on that Biden, you know, has been talking about uh, putting a lot of money in the US to, uh, uh, you know, really stem the numbers uh, for the coronavirus um, expansion or uh, contagion. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's going to continue. Uh, he's been very active with his team to, uh, you know, be prepared for when they take, take, uh, take office. Um, and uh, even tonight, he's doing a special memorial uh, with 400 uh, lights to be lit around the perimeter um, of the reflection pool to, to, you know, each light reflected about a thousand Americans uh, who have died of, of COVID-19. So let's take a look on the economy. So the stock index has dropped a little bit. Uh, you know, this is as of, uh, kind of end of last week. Remember the US markets were closed yesterday for March, uh, 
Luther King Jr. Day. Uh, so the stock markets had dropped a little bit. They're up this morning. We saw the treasuries fall a little bit, so that's recovered. Um, you know, the, the the dollar pushed a bit higher uh, last week. Uh, however, uh, fallen a little a little bit. And when we talk about these little bits, uh, you know, the slight movements. Gold prices again a very small slip last week, uh, but it's moving up again today. Uh, oil, uh, the headline said plunged, but I think it was less than a dollar. It moved uh, and it's actually back up again today. So we'll talk a bit more about those when we get to commodities. Uh, coming up in the US, of course, the economic calendar, we've got the labor numbers coming out, uh, the jobless claims, uh, you know, all things are, are, are showing, you know, from December's trend, uh, the unemployment rates rising. The number of claims uh, are dropping a little bit, but that's not always reflecting uh, the unemployment number. Um, but, uh, but that just means less people were looking for work, not necessarily more people employed. Uh, so, so that's a number, as you remember, we're watching you know, really, really closely because what affects the economy is how many people are out of work. Obviously a new round of stimulus. Uh, I think Biden was talking about sending another $1,400 to each American after they just got their $600. Uh, so a total of kind of that 2000 mark that they were shooting for uh, will help, um, but something to keep close eye on. Morgan Stanley Wednesdays, the fourth quarter earnings came out, uh, or coming out, sorry, this Wednesday, expected to uh, to be benefit from the trading activities. It has been a very active year in the markets, you know, with IPOs, volatility around the trading. Uh, so, you know, the financial sectors is split a little bit between um, the banks and the uh, the brokerage firms, uh, as the banks' uh, earnings have decreased a little bit with the really low interest rates. Uh, JP Morgan uh, is trimming, as mentioned, the, the, on the banking side, they're trimming on the lo their loan reserves um, in hopes of a better economy. So uh, we talked about this, especially on the Canadian bank side, they put loan loss provisions into the books, basically writing off debt before it actually uh, defaults uh, to, to be able to you know, spread it out over time. Uh, but they can bring that debt back in if uh, the outlook looks better. And that's what we're seeing in JP Morgan. Wells Fargo's record, uh, record profits, a rare beat uh, as credit cost falls. Um, but at the same time, they've, they saw their, their stock drop a little bit and further down there, Citibank, the same thing. A little, despite a good quarter, the outlook is probably for still a tough year for the economy this year. Goldman Sachs eyeing the deal uh, for to boost their markets. Banking units, markets is the consumer banking unit. Uh, so they're taking uh, some advantage of the fact that uh, they basically shut that down, shut the growth down uh, by really slowing the loan rates and deposit rates uh, at the consumer bank level during this uncertainty. Uh, and so they do see things still struggling this year, but getting better. So that's a good sign, uh, you know, that they're putting some money behind that, starting to loan money again uh, as they see the economy with the vaccine, hopefully uh, by third quarter this year in, uh, improving. Uh, EU states uh, are warning uh, the risk of the vaccination uh, credibility, uh, you know, meeting those vaccination uh, numbers that uh, whether it's the EU or the US or Canada, uh, as, as Pfizer supplies are slowing. Now the Moderna one is starting to increase. Uh, so, you know, hopefully, uh, as I mentioned, we did see a bit of slowdown in the supply. Uh, hopefully that's picking up and uh, will increase from here as we move into the next few months. Coming up in Canada, we're looking at manufacturing sales data for November scheduled to release. Uh, it's likely to drop, as I mentioned. These numbers, you know, it's one thing about statistics. We only get them after the fact. 
So, you know, November numbers, the trend were, was November, December numbers would be decreasing a little bit, um, you know, after we saw some rise in, uh, in, uh, in the previous months. Uh, and wholesale trade is actually, actually to go up a little bit from October, uh, but probably fall for the December numbers. Uh, Kustard, uh, the uh, retailer, and if you're in our portfolios, is one of our, our positions. Um, you know, they were working on a deal to take over or uh, buy out uh, Carrefour, which is a, a French or France-based company, uh, to expand their, their brand uh, over into Europe. Uh, so France, um, the finance minister has, has killed that deal at the moment. So we have seen a pullback in price, but not to, not, I wouldn't worry about that. Uh, Kustar is a, a great company. Um, it's still, you know, grocery line, uh, very profitable. Didn't get uh, overly hurt, obviously, through the economic shutdown and even currently still doing well. Uh, and that trade's not off the table. And, and in fact, in the portfolios, we've added a little bit more uh, to it as we saw the different price taking advantage of that pullback. And, and uh, as we talked about last year, through all the volatility, volatility is actually opportunity for the portfolios. Uh, where we can uh, actually get in or, or increase positions uh, or introduce positions into a portfolio when we do see those pullbacks. Now, uh, the Canadian housing starts uh, started to fall in December. Uh, and this is this kind of a housing trend in Canada. Uh, we've been seeing this. The prices have continued to rise, uh, but sale numbers have, have dropped. So, of course, builders are slower to bring more inventory to market until they start to see the volume start to increase. So uh, we still see lower than normal uh, volume on the markets in real estate. Prices remain in high. Obviously, prices uh, are still being driven a bit by that, that underlying low interest rate that uh, we're still seeing. And you know, Canada, much like the U.S., doesn't have a plan really to raise interest rate. Uh, although I will say they've started to talk about a micro raise, uh, whether that'll be an eighth of a percent uh, hike if uh, inflation continues. Um, but their main, their goal is not to raise rates. So we'll just have to keep a close eye on inflation there. Alberta, of course, the big news, uh, the Keystone, the Trans-Canada Pipeline uh, Project, Keystone XL. Uh, Biden has kind of indicated that, uh, you know, day one, he would uh, kill the permits for that. Um, it was a big controversy when Obama was in office. So not surprised that Biden would pick up where that left off under the Trump administration that was approved. Um, you know, obviously not good. So this is a pipeline that will go from the oil sands right down to Texas. Uh, and um, obviously not good for, for uh, future revenues or future revenue growth, I should say, for TransCanada Pipeline. TransCanada Pipeline still would be fine regardless. Uh, in fact, it dipped yesterday on this news. It recovered again today. Uh, I don't think that pipeline is dead. I think there'll be a lot of negotiations. And of course, Alberta's pushing Trudeau to talk to Biden and uh, we'll see where that leads. And it did go back and forth between Canada and when Obama was in office uh, to finally um, get tentative approvals, but Obama was, uh, left it because uh, it was right near the end of his term. He left it for the next, um, the next president to, to decide what to do with it. Uh, so Biden, Biden might just want to review kind of where things are at. So uh, I think it's a funny thing that he put it on you know, his agenda for first day of the office. I would have thought he had more things to deal with, but uh, obviously if he does cancel it, I don't know if that's off the table, uh, just more that it might be reviewed after he deals with a few other things uh, and, and see where it lands. But uh, again, if you did see the price in TransCanada pipeline and you were looking for an entry point into um, 
a pipeline investment, uh, which are always good, you know, at the right price, they're good dividend pairs. Um, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't shy away from TransCanada pipeline, even if Keystone gets killed. Uh, also, the Canadian government is obviously sank a lot of money into that pipeline, uh, so most of the risk lies on them, not so much on um, on TransCanada pipeline stock. Uh, and Canada is following suit uh, of the U.S. and lifting uh, the restrictions on the 737 Max from Boeing. Uh, so on January 20th tomorrow, uh, we'll start to see flights again uh, as the, they've gone through the, um, you know, the analysis and solutions to prevent, uh, hopefully prevent uh, any future crashes. We had two massive fatality crashes uh, using that, uh, that airline model. Uh, on the foreign exchange front, uh, Yellen, as I mentioned, uh, she's a nominee. Uh, probably, um, you know, her hearings should start tomorrow or today. Uh, in fact, uh, and they're talking about having her in place by um, uh, by Thursday. Um, you know, she she probably, you know, as we mentioned, the U.S. dollar has been getting weaker and weaker. Uh, it's a way to deal with their growing debts. Uh, she'll probably continue that trend after she's installed. Uh, and, and uh, you know, we'll get a better sense of what her plan is or what the, the new Fed's plan is uh, going forward in the, in the coming months. But um, I, I think she's pretty much telegraphed she's not going to do any knee-jerk reaction her first down few weeks in office, which is probably a very good approach uh, to at least telegraph to the market uh, what her plans are if they're different than the current, um, current strategy. Uh, the, the euro's depreciation potential uh, against the the dollar is likely to remain limited, uh, with the uh, with the eurozone uh, economy is expected to recover as the vaccine rollout. So pretty much what we're seeing here in Canada, uh, Canada and the U.S., you know, optimism with the vaccine coming in and reopening happening. Uh, the EU, so we talk about the European Union, has been a little bit slower to um, to get the vaccine rolled out uh, compared to the U.K. Um, but I think that the UK obviously was a quite a bit worse shape uh, when it came to their numbers, and they were very aggressive of getting the vaccine out. In fact, being one of the one of the first major countries to approve it, uh, or G7 countries anyway to approve the vaccine. I think the only one uh, approved for uh, distribution was the, um, the Sputnik in uh, in Russia prior to the UK. Uh, and in the bond market, we mentioned it rose slightly uh, on Friday. And uh, it was closed yesterday, uh, and the numbers were pretty flat. On the commodity side, uh, Brent was uh, Brent Oil or the futures contracts were up today. Uh, you know, again, this is just that optimism that later this year, not tomorrow, but later this year, we will start to see demand increase a little bit. Uh, OPEC is reporting, you know, uh, surprisingly few changes last week. You know, they're staying focused on the limited supply, keeping the inventories low. Uh, you know, to to reflect the current demand. Uh, but as uh, as that European activity potentially can start to uh, increase in the second half of this year, and, and Canadian North American as well, uh, things are looking better there. Uh, gold edge a bit higher. Again, this is pretty much moving in tandem with the U.S. dollar. Uh, as the U.S. dollar goes uh, down, gold goes up and vice versa. Uh, and this is just a hedge against that inflation and the movement on that dollar. So still continues to be a, a strong outlook for us uh, for 2021. Uh, as you know, the new stimulus package in the U.S. Uh, is just printing more money uh, and will drive more inflation. So now let's take a look at your tools you have in your quiver starting the new year. Of course, RSPs, we are in RSP season. I know it seems like uh, a strange thing to be talking about at 
with everything that's been going on. Uh, but we are RSB season. You have, uh, you know, uh, the first couple of months of this year to still do contributions for your tax year 2021. Uh, it's well worth to take a look at the tool. I know in recent years, and it's not new, I, I would say probably the last 15 years, it's been growing, you know, whether RSBs are worth it. And that really goes back to my opening statements every week of, you know, you really have to look at your individual situation. The RSP is one of the most powerful tools you have in your toolbox, uh, but you have to use it right in the right situation, like any tool, right? You don't take your wrench out and use it as a hammer. Um, if you need a hammer, go get a hammer. Don't use the wrench. So, uh, you know, always, always keep the RSP, uh, you know, kind of your first uh, review when you're looking at your savings, looking, especially long-term savings, you know, of course it's designed for retirement. Um, when you're looking at long-term savings, uh, or even a lot of people using them for uh, first-time home buyers uh, purchases. Uh, as last year, they did increase the uh, the tax-free withdrawal rate. It's uh, from twenty thousand to thirty-six thousand per individual. Um, you know, it has to be repaid back over uh, fifteen years, but uh, it's still a way to get your deduction and uh, still use it towards a home purchase. Uh, but do review that, uh, you know, right away. It might not apply to you. It might not be the best strategy for you, but take a look to see if it is or isn't. Uh, and also review those things uh, when you're at the tail end. If you're slowing down, working in retirement, you know, should you start drawing? Uh, don't always wait till the end to withdraw your RSPs uh, or your RIFs uh, as they can be converted to RIFs at any time. Um, and they can be converted back to RSPs depending on what your income is looking like year over year up to age 71. So, you know, always look at your RSP when you're looking at strategies and how you might want to use it. Of course, uh, the room for 2020 uh, was 27. The max room for 2020 was $27,230 for that year. Uh, depending on your income, it's 18% of your earned income. Uh, and you may have carry forward room from previous years. So always double check that as well. Don't always max out. Again, your situation is going to be part, uh, very bespoke, very unique. Uh, you need to make sure you're not lowering your taxable income too much that you're losing that high or top level uh, marginal tax deduction because as you knock your income down, that does change how much benefit you're getting from that deduction. So don't automatically think put as much as possible in there. Uh, it may make sense. It may not. Uh, definitely look at it. 2021, the max room is not changing. Uh, it has been going up um, uh, steadily for the past few years. I think in 2019, it was 26,000 and change. Uh, but in 2021, it's the same as last year, 27,830. If you do a contribution now, it doesn't, you can apply it to either last year or this year. So uh, if you want to get ahead on your 2021 contribution, I always recommend it because uh, uh, the money's in there working for you harder uh, earlier. So uh, always keep in, uh, take into account as well, though, if you have a pension through work, there are pension adjustments that reduce your room. Uh, and if you're in a superannuation pension, uh, that'd be teachers or government uh, or first-line workers, or frontline workers, sorry, uh, your superannuation uh, pension adjustment actually gets higher and higher as you get older, uh, as it is a factor of your income, but also your age and number of years you've been a member of the plan. So uh, as you get older, that so your RSP room is uh, being decreased uh, more and more. So keep that in mind. Uh, and March 1st is the deadline for uh, the 2020 tax year to do your contributions. Uh, you have till this year, uh, March 1st. Um, as I mentioned, you know, there are a lot of benefits. Uh, you're, you're 
do get to deduct the money uh, from your taxable income. Uh, it goes against capital gains, earned income, interest income. It goes against any type of income that you uh, you be taxed on. Uh, it's well worth taking advantage of. At 71, though, um, you do have to convert to a RIF, and by January the next year, you have to start your withdrawals for tax purposes. So that's where the tax planning comes in. How much should you be contributing to your RSP? Well, it really depends on your other sources of income and your other savings. Uh, and uh, when should you start to withdraw? Again, really have to look at your income. Should you wait to 71? Should you start earlier? Uh, really depends uh, year over year. We always try to do reviews in November for people, uh, especially if they had significant changes in income that year, whether we should increase or decrease uh, the withdrawal limits from, uh, from the RSPs. Spousal RSPs also um, are out there where you can uh, income split. So you can put use your deduction, but put money in your spouse's RSP. Um, way more powerful years ago, uh, prior to the income split in rules, uh, because uh, one of the things you did not want to do is have a lot of money in your RSP and none in your spouse's. And then all that money came out taxable to you in retirement. And they had, um, you know, very low income potentially in, uh, in retirement. Um, but they changed those rules several years ago. Uh, after 65, you can split your income regardless of who it's coming to in retirement. Or you can split your retirement income. Uh, you can't split your earned income. So if you're working past 65. But all your pension income and your RSP income, you can split. So less impactful. Uh, but if you do have disposal RSPs, it's worth, again, reviewing those, see where it's most powerfully used uh, for your tax situation. And then the big debate, uh, what to do uh, versus tax-free savings account, which one's better? Uh, again, this is a very, I, I know people don't like that answer. You know, I can't tell you what's best for you, but uh, it, is, uh, it is an easy um, answer once we kind of look at your situation, which one's best. Uh, in general, if you want to rule a thumb, both having both is the best situation. Uh, you know, uh, whether it's just how much you put into each one. Um, you know, TFSAs came out in 09, so we're all building room year over year. The 2021 uh, new room that came uh, came into your credit as of January 1st, and everyone over 18 uh, in Canada gets that room regardless of their income is six thousand uh, dollars that you can put in there. So, uh, so there is a smaller limit that you can put into your TFSA every year. You do not get a deduction. So that's the downside to the TFSA, uh, right? You know, compared to an RSP uh, is there's no deduction to put that money in, in there. However, uh, it does compound tax-free just like your RSP. Uh, and the benefit to the TFSA versus an RSP is when you withdraw it, uh, there's no tax on it. Um, so that's a huge benefit because of course, when you withdraw from an RSP, uh, because pre-tax dollars went in there because you got that deduction, it is taxable coming out. So that's why that balance, rule of thumb, that balance is your best bet because you can blend those two incomes uh, when you do start to withdraw and bring your overall tax rate down. And that, you know, that's the goal. You're never going to get to zero on taxation. Um, you know, we actually have alternative minimum income in Canada where they'll tax you anyway. So uh, you never get to zero. But you can bring it, uh, bring it real, you know, way down. So uh, looking at the TFSA as a strategy is is highly advisable in combination with your RSP uh, and what those amounts would be optimum for you is, is again that's something we can review and, and give you those numbers. And they tend to change year over year depending on your 
your income uh, or, or situation. The other great thing about uh, TFSAs, if you're not aware, is you can withdraw from them at any time, just like an RSP, but you don't lose your room in a TFSA. So if you use all your RSP room and you withdraw it, um, you don't get that room back again. With TFSAs, uh, you know, we all have uh, 75,500 in uh, room to date since 2009, um, or anyone who was 18 in 2009 till now, of course, accumulate, accumulated at least 75,500 in room. Um, and if you put all that in and you withdrew all that money today, um, you don't lose that. Next January, you do have to wait till the next calendar year, but the next calendar year, you would be able to put that 75.5 back in plus you know, your new room for 2022. So your room doesn't disappear. It does disappear for that calendar year. Don't recontribute to your RTFSA in the calendar year you did a withdrawal. The penalties are harsh, they are quick, and the government is not lenient with it. Um, so uh, be very cautious about that. Be very cautious if you have two TFSAs. We uh, always encourage clients if they have a TFSA here, they only do the contributions here. Um, or they move them here because uh, we've, we've seen a lot of people get hit. Uh, you know, banks, unfortunately, uh, tend to have a lot of staff turnover uh, and they're not always tracking uh, your contributions. Uh, we try to always make sure we track to make sure you're never going over your limits. Uh, and of course, if you do a withdrawal, uh, we will advise you not to put money back in that year and make sure you don't get that penalty because it is uh, about 1%, I think it's 1% per month uh, that Europe contributed. So if you did an over-contribution in January this year and you, they didn't catch it till you did your tax filings next year, that's 12% penalty on the amount that you're over. So, um, you know, be really, really cautious on, on that front. But it is a powerful tool. I do highly recommend it. And uh, uh, even younger people, when they're starting savings, uh, it's a quick way to shelter uh, things from taxes. Remember, as soon as they turn 18, they can open one uh, and they start to accumulate room from age 18. Uh, I think I've talked mostly about this. Anyone 18, redeposits. I got ahead of myself on the, uh, on the facts on TFSAs. So let's talk uh, a little bit, uh, we'll move fast TFSAs now as well, I can tell you. Let's talk about the CPP enhancements um, or enhancements. I, I always like how uh, changes to things are called enhancements. Um, are they good? Are they bad? Uh, I guess uh, history will tell. Uh, but uh, CC, the CPP uh, has put uh, enhancements in place that are affecting employed and self-employed Canadians this year uh, that will impact businesses, uh, you know, impact businesses. They cover 50% of their employees' contributions. Uh, so every year, the, uh, the maximal pensionable earnings. So this is a number that your CPP member is based on. It tends to go up. There was a bigger jump this year. I uh, went from 58,700 to 61,600. Um, so that number uh, can, uh, is, is, you know, when you retire, it, is the calculation as to how much you get a month. Um, you don't get that amount, it's just based on that amount, um, your calculation. The, uh, if you earn over that every year, you'll get the maximum CPP at age 65. If you earn under that, you will get less. If you're getting close to retirement, there is, you can go on the CPP website. There's a link there. You can ask uh, for them to send you kind of where your calculations at. Highly recommend people do that uh, as they're going into retirement. If we're doing a plan for people, we tend to uh, get them to do that just so we can verify the numbers uh, just to see where you're at. And also remember, if you stayed at home uh, with children, I want to say it's under seven. I believe it's under the age of seven. 
or your income was reduced for uh, a few years uh, while uh, you had children at home, you can have those numbers removed from your calculation if it negatively impacts your, your overall limit. So keep that in mind. So every year we pay off our paycheck to a maximum. Uh, last year, uh, employees paid um, uh, five and a quarter percent and uh, employers paid five and a quarter percent. Uh, and uh, that is increasing to 5.45%. So you will see a little bit of a jump into your CPP deductions. Uh, if you're earning over that 61,600, um, usually pay it off through the year. So, you know, your, 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 your deductions are higher January through, depending on how much you make. Uh, if you make double that um, by June, uh, you would have paid the maximum into CPP and then you don't make any payments until the rest of the year. Or if you do, you get that back as an over contribution when you file your taxes. If you're self-employed, it means you have to pay into your employer CPP or your, your corporation CPP account. Uh, 10.9 instead of 10.5 this year. So an increase. It does mean that your benefits are going up when you go to uh, claim. So that's the positive side or that's the enhancement they're referring to. Uh, so, so that is good. Uh, obviously trying to adjust with inflation uh, and, and, and keep that, um, keep those numbers up. Uh, they, they usually try to uh, make smaller incremental adjustments along the way. Uh, but this year it was a larger jump. So uh, just keep that in mind for your paychecks this year, but also your, um, your CPP payments will, uh, will increase. Um, so just keep that in mind. Uh, and again, the basic exemption for Canadians that don't have to remit any CPP is $3,500, but then you're not really turning uh, room into your CPP. So that's pretty much all the changes I wanted to cover this week. As always, if you have any questions, please, please feel free to send them in. Give us a call. Go to mikeonmoney.com. Uh, also, if you have any uh, topics you want us to cover, uh, any areas or updates that you want to um, talk to us about, you can go there and, uh, and get a hold of us. Give us a call. You can uh, book an appointment with me if you'd like. And of course, all our contents on there, our podcasts, our videos, uh, and our weekly reports. So with that, I'll say thank you. Uh, stay safe out and stay well. Enjoy the sunshine, everyone. Talk to you next week.